Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Sumeraki. The NBA season has reached the midway point, and joining me to break it all down, especially for the upcoming for the Western Conference, is the host of the Just Kicking It podcast and co-host of the Baller Biz podcast. It's Justin Huntsman. Justin, thank you so much, and welcome back to the show. Of course, Asumu. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. So we're here to break down certain teams from the Western Conference. It's been this Western Conference has been a lot more interesting compared to previous years. It's not like you see the usual suspects. You've seen the Lakers back in it, Clippers, Nuggets. They're all doing their thing. But really, the one team that's really shocked me when it comes to how they've been playing and the fact that they're just dominating everybody, the Utah Jazz. I, I just can't believe how this team has just evolved. They've elevated themselves and they're one of the best teams in the league. So when when basically their core hasn't changed at all. Nothing about this team has really changed personnel-wise. So when you, Justin, when you watch this team, what aspect about, about them has changed that has made them the best team in the first half? Well, a few things. So right now they're 26-6 and six with the third hardest schedule in the NBA. So props to them for that. Um, you, hit on, uh, you hit something, a big topic for them. Nothing's really changed for them. They brought back 92% of their roster from last year, and that doesn't include Derek Favors, who is there for several years. So in a turbulent year where guys are out of the lineup due to COVID, injuries, whatever it may be, Utah has had the same lineup, uh, the same continuity, and I think that's paid off for them in a strange year. Um, but the thing that's changed is Mike Conley's gotten more comfortable in the system. Um, you're seeing Memphis Mike Conley, which is huge and why they traded for him originally. And then Jordan Clarkson's having the best year of his career uh, up in career high points at 17, 18 points a game. Quinn Snyder has kind of unleashed him in this controlled chaos manner. Um, that's really dominated second units. Yeah. That's what I noticed. And Jordan Clarkson so far is the runaway favorite for six yeah. man of the year. And he's been the most up and down player every time he's, whether if he was in Cleveland, Los Angeles, he was, he would have nights where he'd be balling, going on hot streaks, but then he had other nights where he just goes cold. But now it just feels like, as you said, they completely unlocked him and he's kind of letting him go nuts. But the rest of this team, they have six players that are scoring in double digits. They have their seven guys. It's Mitchell, Clarkson, Conley, Boyan, Gobert, Ingles, and O'Neal. Those are the those are their guys. And the one thing I I have concerns about this team is it's the rest of the guys. Like they're depending on people like Favors and Georges Niang. Niang, by the way, the other night seven for seven from threes, yeah. which was incredible. But that's their rotation. And what I'm concerned about is like the eight nine guys. Like, is that a genuine concern, or do you think that those guys will fill in the roles that they are in right now? No, I don't think it's a concern too much. The The thing with the Utah Jazz is they play an enjoyable enjoyable brand of basketball. Like most teams, when they make the extra pass, it'll happen once or twice in a quarter. Utah pretty much does it every single possession. I think they're top two in three-pointers made and top two in percentage, um, which is a thing to look at. Like they are a high-volume three-point shooting team, and they make a ton of them. Um, I'm not as high on Rudy Gobert as others, but a lot of people love him and think he deserves more acclaim than he gets. Um, I think he's a glue guy, glue guy in the same role or same context as a Draymond Green. If you stick him on a good team, he can make them great. But if you stick him on a bad team, his flaws are kind of going to be shown off a lot more. Um, but looking at their depth, 
I look more towards Donovan Mitchell. He's stepped up in several playoff series. That's the guy that they're going to need. And then it's going to be, is it Bogdanovich, Ingles, Clarkson? Who's that other guy that can be a 20 point per game score in a playoff series? It's really, that's the key is that they're third looking for that third guy because Mitchell is going to be the guy that's going to be the last guy getting the ball. He's the guy that's going to be shooting the shot in the last, on the last second. But I, I'm just genuinely impressed by this team. And it's really great because when I, whenever I list, I, every now and then I'll listen to a jazz game because I do love the radio guy, David Locke, incredible guy, love him. And the, there's just genuine excitement. And also I think I'm pretty sure they're one of the few teams that has fans in attendance. Yeah, they are. Do you, do you think at all that has like some way that's kind of motivating them a little bit that they have some form of capacity in their home arena? Um, there's something to it. There's something to the, hu- the human element of having fans cheer you on. Um, they're one of, I think now 15 teams since Brooklyn and the Knicks are now allowing fans starting. What was that on February 23rd? So half the league now has them, but the jazz have had them since the season started. Um, so just having that extra boost on a nightly basis at home definitely gives you an extra oomph just because like those are what sports are for, right? Like when it's dead silent, it feels like a practice or a scrimmage and you lose some of that motivation and you can just go through the motions. Whereas if you have fans, there's just a little bit extra to play for. Yeah. One last point on this jazz team that I was thinking about a comparison for this team and I keep we talked. You talked about the continuity about this team, and I keep going back to that Pacers team in the mid two two thousand tens. You know, Lance Stevenson, Paul George, David West, Hibbert, George Hill. They have basically the same starting lineup, and the Jazz kind of have that same feel of like they have their five. They've always they've been together for so long, and now the continuity is really paying off. Do you see? Is there another team? Another comparison you'd make to this team? Because that for me, I, I'm just it reminisces to me about the, those Pacer teams that were taking it to the Miami heat. The 2014 Pacers, I think is the best comparison. A lot of people try to compare them to the Hawks where they had all five starters make the all-star game. Um, But I don't think that's a fair comparison because nobody on that Hawks team was at the level that Donovan Mitchell's at right now, or shown to be at in playoff series. So I definitely compare them more to the 2014 Pacers because Paul George was on the rise at the time. Um, and was a young star in the league comparable to Donovan Mitchell. So I think that's kind of their best comparison. Let's move on to the defending champion, Los Angeles Lakers. We can't really have a a conversation about the Western conference without talking about the Lakers. They've been on a bit of a skid right now Four, they've lost four straight games. They just got blown out by the jazz. ADs out for at least a a month with with a leg injury. And LeBron's kind of in a situation where he has to carry. This is kind of the situation he was trying to avoid. It's not that he wants to, he doesn't want to do this because he can do it, whatever it called upon, but he would rather preserve himself for the playoffs, which has really always been the goal for him for the past few years. And when I watched this Lakers team, I thought beginning of the season, this team looked great. They were ready to take on this regular season, they had the depth necessary to go through, give LeBron AD nights off if they need them. But now without Anthony Davis, it just feels like there's so much about this team that's exposed. What? So the question I have for you is, how badly do the Lakers need to get this one seed? Is it a now or never, or does it not matter because they have LeBron? 
It doesn't matter at all. When you're the defending champs and you feel confident when you're heading into the playoffs, as long as you're 100% healthy, like that's all that matters. Is Anthony Davis completely healthy? Okay, then the Lakers can go against anybody in the playoffs. I actually look at their case right now and think they're going to drop a little bit and try to play themselves into Utah's side of the bracket. Um, They're at the three seed, I believe, right now. Um, I think they'll probably end the season around the four or five. Um, And that's due to AD being out for at least another month. And they're missing Dennis Schroeder right now, their best uh, guard defender. And who they've had on the schedule recently is if it's Washington, if it's Utah, if you don't have Schroeder to check Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, you're going to struggle on most of those nights. Like these guys are pros and all-star talents. So I definitely think they miss Dennis Schroeder just as much, not, not just as much as Anthony Davis, but definitely on a nightly basis, they miss him just his energy. Um, Kyle Kuzma's slotted in more as an energy guy now. And LeBron, as much as people love to say, this is year 18, he's 36 years old. Those, those legs do look tired on some nights. And I would think on the past four to five games, you're definitely seeing that. It's, it's a bit shocking because I would have figured that, you know, 80s out, this is the opportunity for Kuzma to step up. But I, you know, he is like, that's how he's slotted. He's always been like the second unit guy, the lead scorer for the second unit. And Schroeder was basically the upgrade for Rajon, Rajon Rondo. Gigantic upgrade. And they've been missing him because of health protocols. I believe he should be back by the time they, I said, I think I read a report that said he'd be back by Portland. Yeah. And they're solely missing him. When you look, when you look at the rest of this, like, do you feel that the, they added the right guys to surround themselves with LeBron? Cause they basically did reload. And I do like it when uh, championship teams, they kind of switch out a couple of guys. Cause it keeps like this whole like incentive, this whole motivation. It keep, when you bring in different guys, especially if they haven't won an NBA championship yet, it keeps everybody hungry. They, they change their identity. There's nothing wrong with it but they changed the complexion of their team and they changed their identity. Last year you had Javel and Dwight. So you had two great rim protectors. Okay. You bring in Marcus Saul, who's a better passer offensively, which means you can get AD and LeBron off the ball a little bit more and get them easier looks. Okay. So that helps you offensively, but bringing Marcus Saul into the equation and Montrose Harrell, you lose some of your rim protection. Like there's a give and take here with the acquisitions. You bring in Wes Matthews, um, you bring in Schroeder, like you said. So you're bringing in different guys. There's nothing wrong with it. You just changed the identity of your team. They're still the best team when healthy, what I've seen from them so far. So I don't have too many worries. But it's going to be interesting uh, in playoff series moving down the line because JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard did a nice job against Jokic in the playoffs. Marcus Saul is not the same type of defender to bang him around to, to um, use his athleticism against Jokic because he doesn't have a ton. So it's going to be different uh, this time around just because their identity is different. Yeah, that's, that's what I remember about that that series was that Dwight was basically sent out there just to bully Jokic. Yeah. And Use your fouls, scrap it up. Yeah, beat him up a little bit. But Gasol, I mean, he's been a noted and excellent defender. But like, as you said, he's a different kind of defender. He's more smart. He's more the guy that is, I would say, what's I guess the term would be like the quarterback at the defense. So, yeah, they substituted length and athleticism for finesse. And so that's kind of the way I break it down of they, like JaVale McGee and Dwight are two athletic guys. They use their length defensively, whereas Gasol is going to be an IQ guy. They're smarter defensively now. Like Dennis Schroeder right now is an all defensive guard in my mind. So like there's different aspects of their defense. He's better than Danny Green on that end now. So there's different aspects that they've improved and there's aspects that they've kind of lost. Like they have to be better at the point of attack now with guards because 
if there is paint touches, well, they don't have the bigs now to um, protect the rim. So it's just, you have to change the aspects of your defense and be better in some situations where you might've lacked last year and been able to cover it up with other issues. Do you feel that they have a move to make? Because I don't know if they have the assets to trade for anybody, but they are definitely going to be in the buy the buyout market. So if they were looking to go into the buyout market, what's the need that they need to fill when they, whenever they sign anybody? Uh, that's a good question. Um, looking at the buyout market, if you could get an athletic five, just to change things up, just a rim protecting five. Now that could, that could be honestly in the form of Dwayne Dedman, who's a free agent right now. Um, I don't know exactly what they're looking at. They have plenty of wings. Uh, guards aren't the issue. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to say you want another creator, but you're not finding that out there on the open market to go with LeBron. So like, that's just not a viable option. Whereas if you want a rim protecting big, yeah, I think you can find one on the open market. I'm already penciling in thinking, I know what's happening in Cleveland right now with Drummond, but if things, they can't find a deal, they might be forced to go for a buyout. That makes them very, very interesting because then it's a bidding war between probably the Nets who also are probably going to be looking for a big guy in the market too. So this, that's going to be really interesting to see how, who he chooses, whether he goes back to New York or if he goes to LA, because you can't really go wrong. If you're Andre Drummond, you can't go wrong with either option. He, he's just going to say, what are you selling me on? Who's giving me more touches in the paint, right? Like Andre Drummond in theory is the guy you want for either team, but what he actually is, isn't. I think that's kind of the way you sum up Andre Drummond's career, right? Is like in theory, he is this player, but when you see him on a night to night basis and the energy he brings on some nights, it just leaves a lot to be at a lot to be wanting a lot to be asked for. Um, but those two teams are going to look at him. I know Bogey cousins has been rumored to possibly going back to LA. I don't think he really fills or fixes any of the issues they have. Um, but he does have a prior relationship with them. Um, so we're, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is another name I'd throw out there, um, who I think is a free agent right now um, that the Nets or Lakers might look at because I think he can play small ball five and he can guard pretty much two through five. Uh, he's a pretty versatile defender. So I would say look out for his name as well. Yeah. And also former net too. So he could yeah. slide in just right, just like that. Let's finally go to the probably the most surprising team that's really gotten a lot of eyes on them the phoenix suns phoenix suns they my goodness ever since they got chris paul everything seems to be like they found an identity and they figured out what who, what they wanted to be or who they want to be and they the one trait about this team is that they are one of the slowest paced teams in the league yeah. and so when you watch the suns team what's really what do you what do you what have you been looking at that's been just how they've been succeeding in terms like so what aspect about them is getting them to up to this point where they're now challenging for the top four seeds they signed vets instead of wasting two top 10 picks on marquis chris and dragon bender <laughs> uh, no but seriously um bringing in chris paul um you talked about it. they play at one of the slowest paces so they'll be ready for playoff time just because it's a half court game the one gripe i do have is i do think they need to run a little bit more um, cause I think that, it, uh, them playing at such a slow pace holds back cam Johnson bridges and Devin Booker and Aiton on a nightly basis sometimes. Um, but it prepares them for playoff basketball, um, bringing in Jay Crowder, who was just on the heat last year, made that finals run, uh, cam Johnson, Michael Burgess have improved. 
uh, two great three and D wings. And Devin Booker finally has guys around him that are NBA players. Um, Devin Booker was getting uh, crapped on for lack of better of words uh, for not winning enough as a young player, uh, putting up these gaudy numbers, but always people saying, well, he's a losing player. Well, now he has guys that actually are vets and you see the winning follows. Um, He's a top 15 player in my eyes. Uh, I think he's actually going to thrive a ton in playoff basketball, um, just hunting matchups. Their X factor is going to be DeAndre Ayton, which DeAndre Ayton shows up on a nightly basis. Because some nights he had like a four or five game stretch where he averages 17 and 13 with four offensive rebounds. And there's other nights he has eight points and 10 rebounds, but he wasn't dominant. Like you need dominant DeAndre Ayton for them to be the team they possibly can be because they actually have a build that they're in dark horse in the Western Conference playoffs in my eyes. Like my take the other night is – in my eyes, they're a more dangerous team playoff-wise than Utah is. I could see it because I'm looking at their stats. They have seven players scoring double digits right now, including Dario Saric, who's kind of come on lately. Yeah. And I want to highlight Mike, Mikhail Michael Bridges. I Sometimes I for, don't, can't figure out how to pronounce his first names. Is it Michael or Mikhail? Uh, Michael Bridges, yeah. Michael Bridges. It, so I, was, I watched this clip like the other, the other day of how his defense, how he utilizes his length on the defensive end, because that's really been why yeah. he, people love him, is that he's one of the best 3D guys in the league right now because this is someone who who's not only utilizes his length, but he's so smart about how he uses his length to defend guards, wings, whatever. So when you, is, so when you watch the rest of this team, and you mentioned DeAndre Ayton, who I thought, like, you know, Maybe you're a big guy. He might thrive more in a half court setting, but you're saying that he need he thrives better in a fast paced setting. Yeah. Cause he's an athletic big, he's a rim running big. Cause he'll beat his matchup uh, time in time out down the court. He just needs that quick paint touch within the first five to six seconds to go to work. Another thing with his issue is, is he makes offense more complex for himself. Sometimes mm-hmm. instead of settling for the four foot jump hook, he'll kind of get pushed out of the paint and settle for a 12 to 14 foot fade away where he can make the game a lot more easier for himself. So what you're telling me is that he needs to improve his post game a little bit more. Yeah. Just post position, asking for the ball, uh, sealing the guy early on in the possession. Like when he does that, when they run, he'll steal the guy and he'll be rewarded, but he doesn't do it on a consistent enough a basis. And I think that's because they play slower. So he knows he's not getting touches. Like he's a kind of guy that needs to know the touches are coming for him to give the effort. So it feels like in some ways he just needs to, they just need to involve him more in the offense, especially right around the start of the game get him going early. And then once he has the confidence, then he's just going to go in and just go lights out. hundred percent. That like, that's, that's the kind of player he is. He's a young player. Like that's how most young guys are. If you get them going early, they're going to bring their effort defensively and they're just going to keep up their effort throughout the game. If they know touches are going to keep coming to them. I kind of understand why they got, why they wanted to go get Chris Paul because Chris Paul is one of those guys. He gets that. He understands everybody. And he not only takes into account that kind of stuff, but he also takes into account, just like the mental aspect of everybody, chemistry, he understands it all. And I, I kind of like this team because if, let's say, Chris Paul decides to need to take time off, then that then it becomes a Devin Booker show. Or if Devin Booker needs time off, then Chris Paul can take over. So they have options. And I, I, I kind of see – I understand how you say that the Suns are much more dangerous than the Jazz. And I can't wait to see what else they do. So – for this team in particular, is there anything that they need to add? Because they're definitely going to be in the market too. Um, 
it's hard because the, the things some of these teams need aren't on the market, right? So like I look at this team, like could you get some better wing scoring? Maybe, but like you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, you talked about Michael Bridges, something uh, just an odd thing because I watched pretty much every single game. He's the best defender on Luka Doncic. Um, hmm. Just a random thing to throw out there because what Bridges does really well with his length is recover. So if he gets hit with a screen and he's trailing behind you, he uses that wingspan and whether it's a deflection, whether it's a block from behind, um, he just has great anticipatory skills, um, knowing what's going to be the next move. Um, and he just gives Luca a ton of issues because he has great hands. Um, he's quicker than Luca. He's more athletic and then he uses his wingspan, um, in different ways when he has to trail Luca in a, in a pick and roll. That's interesting. So as we're recording this tonight, we're going to have, we're going to see Ben Simmons take on Luka, Luka Dokic. Yes. And that's going to be a very interesting match because I feel like out of all the perimeter guys, this is like a slight tangent, but out of all the guys, like all the, all the guards per se, Ben Simmons has been like hands down the best defensive player in the league. And I, I think he, I think he's the best defender in the league. Now I think Anthony Davis has an argument there as well. Um, but Ben Simmons is really the only guy I can look at on a nightly basis and say, yeah, he can guard one through five and legitimately guard one through five at an elite level. Um, I think people get caught up with him too much on the jump shot and not look at every other aspect of the game. He does either at a good, very good or an elite level. We'll get, to, we'll get to Ben Simmons later, but I, I will say this, but I look at this team, I feel like if there's one place that they could upgrade, it's guard, backup guard. I like and, Cameron Payne. I actually think he's been playing well for Phoenix. Really? So you're yeah. going to stick, even in the playoffs, you want to roll in with Cameron Payne? Because I feel like with this team, this would be the perfect Terry Rozier location. What what set my question back to you then would be what salary are they matching going out to get that's here? Like you're get, you're giving up yeah. something probably of importance. Where I think Cameron after campaign went overseas and he's come back and signed with the Suns, he doesn't want to go back. Like he plays every single night like he's about to lose his job. I think there's an aspect of that that a lot of people don't talk about is when campaign comes in, they play faster, so guys get easier looks. Hmm. Um, he's more confident now and he plays with a chip on his shoulder of, like I said, he doesn't want to go back overseas. Like he knows what that grind is. He knows he can make it, make it in this league as a backup point guard. And I think there's something to that where Monty has a long enough leash for him, where he's going to play how he wants to play while also reining it in and getting other guys looks. You just completely just smashed my argument for trying to acquire another guard right there. I never actually considered that because I, every time I look at Cameron Payne, I'm just like thinking, really, is this guy like getting the minutes? Like who else? Like maybe Javon Carter or something. But then, but now the way they explained it makes it more palatable. It's like, yeah, that actually makes more sense to just keep going with the team that you have right now. I don't think they're really necessarily in a point where they need to upgrade that position. Yeah. I mean, do you have Javon Carter, Etwan Moore slot in, slots in and gets some minutes at the backup too? Like their guard play will be good enough come around playoff time. And I also think Devin Booker is what, 24 years old? Like you're going to play him 38 minutes a night in a playoff series. So like the issues with campaign and things like that, like he's only getting 15 to 16 minutes in a playoff series. So when you have the backcourt of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, those guys are going to take most of the minutes and you're going to stagger them where one of them's always on the court. I'm in a playoff series, so that's not always of greatest concern because whoever's on there is going to shoulder the offensive load. 
All right, Justin, I'm going to do a little segment for, with you. It's called, we're just going to just discuss the most intriguing players that we've seen so far this season from each of the five positions. So I'm going to start off by, with point guard. I'm immediately going Ben Simmons. As we talked about before, he's the best defender in the league. And he's really elevated. I remember I read a tweet that you wrote saying that the he's been much more aggressive, not just on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end. What you've seen him night to night, what has really changed Ben Simmons? Because he really just feels like everything that about him has just elevated to this next level. Like he has reached that next level that everybody wanted him to go to. His mentality. Nothing physical has changed with Ben Simmons, right? Like he can do this on a nightly basis. In February right now, he's averaging 22, eight and eight um, on like 68% true shooting. Um, He's shooting over 73% from the line, highest in his career in this month. Um, He looks more comfortable. So if he's more comfortable going to the free throw line, okay, when he gets in the paint at will whenever he wants, instead of being at that four foot range and just aimlessly kicking out to a covered shooter, he's going to go through contact now and look to finish. And even if he can't finish, get fouled and go to the free throw line. So a lot of his issues have always been mental. It's just getting over these anxieties and just worries about not being good enough at the free throw line, not wanting to go there. And once he got over that, he's a player that, most people are not going to want to see on a nightly basis. It does feel as though there's a sense of fearlessness with him now. Like he's no longer afraid. He doesn't get intimidated by other superstars that he's facing off against. Like he's welcoming the challenge of actually challenging these guys. And he, he looks forward to some matchups. Like when he plays LeBron, you always see the best of Ben Simmons. Dame Lillard too. Like that other yeah. night where he just completely shut him down. It was just like, whoa, this yeah. guy's really coming into his zone. Do you have, is there a point guard that has intrigued you this season so far? What do you mean by intrigued? I I think I need to know the definition of the word you're looking for here, just to make sure my pick is correct. I mean, well, I mean, somebody that has, that you've kept an eye on throughout the whole season that you keep trying to keep tabs on. It's like, okay, I wonder what this guy's doing the other night. And someone that's basically kept your attention, essentially. Damian Lillard. You, you brought him up, but he struggled against Ben Simmons. But Damian Lillard on a nightly basis uh, is unreal. Putting out pretty much 30 points, seven assists. Uh, in the fourth quarter, it's game time. Like, it, it almost is like Thanos. It's inevitable. Like, we talk about it every single night when he's playing. Like, the fourth quarter is coming. Game time is coming. And he delivers every single time. Like, that's a superstar. That's, that's a trait of a superstar. It's like knowing it's going to happen and him actually making it happen. Um, CJ McCollum has been out for what a month now. Nurkic has been out like tra- the trailblazers can never stay healthy. And Damian Lillard has them at, let me look right now. The five seed at 18 and 13, five games above 500. Whoa. I mean, that's just, that's just very impressive to me. It also helps that guys like Gary Trent jr. And Derek Jones jr. Have really yeah. stepped up for them too. I'm going to go for a shooting guard, which by the way, I would have thought you were going to pick LaMelo for that spot, but Oh, that's, I, I was I was thinking about it. See, when you said intrigue, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like on someone that's new, sure. Like Lamelo's the new. To, I, I think when the Charlotte drafted him, I thought they got the best player in the draft. It's kind of played out that way. Um, I'm a little surprised on how quickly he's come along. Uh, I thought he was going to struggle a little bit early on, and he did. Um, like any rookie, he doesn't have, always have great nights. But like he put away Phoenix last night, and that was beyond impressive. Uh, he has no fear. Um, he's the best of the ball brothers. He's probably already a top 10 passer in the league. Um, and he has made the Charlotte Hornets relevant. Like people care about watching their games now. 
It's that's crazy. I'm and it's kind of amazing when you compare him and Lonzo. Lonzo is probably having one of his better seasons too. And in some way, shape, or form, we just think, I think Lonzo doesn't want to get upended by his young by his younger brother. He doesn't want that happening. He's it's like, you know, you're a third overall pick, but I'm a second overall pick. He's gonna hold that over him every time they meet up again or something. But I just feel like when LaMelo, he has had, I don't know how many highlight reels, real passes already. Like this yeah. guy, he gets it. I'm more surprised by the maturity because I remember when he was younger as a teenager, this man, I'm pretty sure embarrassed himself on a, on a Monday night raw yeah. when he showed up with his dad. I, I don't know what they were promoting. But all I knew is that, that the ball families was there for Monday night raw. And I'm pretty sure he embarrassed himself on that night. I think that's what blinded a lot of people with him, right? Like everybody saw, cause he was mainstream since he was 13 years old. Like, no, of course he's going to make mistakes. He's a kid. Like, I think that's what we forgot through the process with him is we saw the reality television show. We saw LeVar, uh, Lonzo didn't live up to the billing that was kind of brought shoved onto him when he was taken second overall by the Lakers. And we kind of put all that on LaMelo without actually watching him. Like everybody was like, Oh, he went to Lithuania. He went to Australia uh, I didn't really watch him in the NBL, but he seems like a toxic personality because that's kind of what's been told to me. And that's what he was when he was 14 years old. So we're going to blindly keep that way. And I thought Chris Mannix had a great article like a week or two ago of James Brago pretty much saying like, I had these same apprehensions about LaMelo Ball. And then I sat down and talked with him and I was like, oh, this is actually a really mature kid. Like, what do you value? And LaMelo said, I value family. And Brago kind of took a step back and was like, okay, this kid actually um, is more level-headed. He's more confident. He's more respectful than everybody said he was. Um, and that's played out in Charlotte so far. Like he has Miles Bridges just playing the game and not thinking it at all. Um, and I think he's just been a heaven send for Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets. I was more shocked by the fact, like when I, when I watch Lonzo and I compare him with his, with Lamelo, it's kind of, it's exactly like how I think about like older brother, younger brother, like dynamics, you know, like the, Lonzo's calm mature like right out of the gate that's how he always has been and that's kind of like how I felt like the eldest the eldest like sibling is like they're always like the more level-headed kind of personality and then the youngest which I can attest to I'm the youngest sibling in my family (laughs) so I it's like a little a little crazy a little out of control sometimes like but they're very like creative in the sense like I'm just trying to and yeah, I, tw- I, I tweeted, <laughs> I tweeted back I think- to you. I was like, this, you know, really good case study for older, younger, younger sibling dynamics. I think the best way, and it might not be the most appropriate way to describe it is, so I have two older brothers, like the third one becomes an asshole, right? Because you, you got kind of beaten up and pushed around when you were younger and you have to go through those trials and tribulations. And when you can finally be better at something for them, you're not going to like, you're not going to let it go. And that's like, it gives you some arrogance, confidence that you just won't let go because once you're better than the older two, like that just, it inspires something in you. And you always have to be more arrogant because you're the youngest, you have to prove yourself. And I think Mm. that just is a trait in the youngest sibling that you see with LaMelo compared to Lonzo. 
I don't know if I feel if I have that sort of mentality towards my older sister, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little different. See, I told her brothers who I was playing sports against that I, I you know, once you're better than them in something like basketball, I was. So it's like, okay, mm. now I get to brag about this. Like that's that's the that's the kind of thing. Yeah, he always was pretty pretty brash, like especially as a teenager, he was always like that kind of personality. It's like following Lamelo, especially on that reality show, was really one of the highlights of Ball in the Family, really. Exactly. And then that's the thing is like, he came off that way in a reality television show at 15. And I think it was kind of unfair of us assuming that was going to be who he always was. Like sometimes we give people latitude to mature and other times we stay stuck in cement with our evaluations on people. Wow. That was great. All right. Let's go to shooting guard. The guy that I'm really intrigued by most is Lou Dort. Lou Dort for the Oklahoma state thunder. Like that, you wouldn't even have to think about this guy last year, but now he's really stepped up and he's also like within that category of like Mike, Michael Bridges of excellent three and D guy. That's really come up and helped out the Oklahoma city Thunder. So when you watch Lou Dort, are you, are you shocked by how good he's been? Uh, how quickly he's been a threat from outside, right? Like he hit that game winner against San Antonio the other night um, going from a guy that was okay. He's with us. Let him shoot to, He's a decent threat out there, I think, is a testament just to his hard work over the summer. And he's he was an all-defensive guy right away off the bat, which is extremely impressive for a guy at that age. And now just adding more elements to his game offensively. He's just he's gonna be a great great guy. And there's they have something very special budding in Oklahoma City with the young talent they have there. Do you feel like he's going to be someone that they could dangle as a trade asset? Or do you feel like the Thunder are going to be dead set and wanting to keep this guy? Um, they're going to keep him for now. I don't know what their future aspirations are, but you like the backcourt of him and SGA. And depending on what pick you get this summer um, or just moving forward with the picks, you could package them with. It just depends on what your future goals are. But right now, I think they're pretty uh, content with him. Who's the shooting guard that you've been most intrigued by? Zach Levine. Uh, I think he, I think he's a top three player to watch in the NBA right now. Um, 28, five and five. I think it's pretty, pretty much career highs across the board. Um, another guy similar to Devin Booker that uh, was just labeled as a guy that puts up empty stats. But when you actually watch the games, he was around guys um, that weren't capable enough NBA talents. Uh, Jim Boylan was holding that roster back. Um, you can see what they're doing now with Billy Donovan. They're the six in the East. Um, and Zach Levine just improved as a player, especially as a playmaker and wins this season. He averages seven assists and losses. He averages three. So that just tells me when they're successful, it's because Zach Levine as a playmaker has grown um, to make the right decisions. Um, and he's just an enjoyable player. He's learned a lot from Jamal Crawford because they're both from Seattle. You can kind of see it in their games. And I think he was tabooed as like a, a dunker when there's so much more to his game. We always remember it. flashbacks to him winning those dunk contests He's basically the reason why the dunk contest became relevant again. Like he made 100%. them fun, fun again, him and versus Aaron Gordon. Like some of the, like that we go back, like, I feel like this is hyperbole to say, but I'm going to say it. it's their, their dunk battles were just as enjoyable as MJ versus Dominique. It really brings back, back to that time, you know, like back from the heyday when the dunk contest, everybody was tuning in for it. He's an elite dunker. There's not, there's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just think there's so much more to his game, but you're hundred percent right that he's, he brought the dunk contest back. And I think they're going to be begging him every single year to participate 
because he has creativity. He has the athleticism. He has everything bundled in a, into a package for what you want for kind of that all-star atmosphere. It does feel like he's also smart enough because I feel like part of like what has really held him back was just decision-making, trying making the best possible decision on the court. It's really just awareness that has really held him back, but it feels like he's grown and matured, especially this season. He's really stepped up in that regard. Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy. He's in his seventh season in the NBA, but he's only 25 years old. Like, that's what we have to remember with these one and dones now. He came out of UCLA, uh, and they take four years to grow. And he's been like a 25-point-per-game score for the past few years. He's just taking another step. He's 25 years old. He probably still has another eight to 10 years in his prime. So, like, he's just getting started in my eyes. Um, and he's with guys like Thad Young's been unlocked this year more as a playmaker in the pick and roll. Uh, Wendell Carter's been able to stay more healthy. Kobe White's taking the next step. Like they have some more vets around him. The young talent's kind of taking that next step and he's taking the next step as well. Let's go to shoot small forward. And I'm not sure if this guy basically qualifies as a small forward, but I'm going to go with it. Jalen Brown. Okay. Jalen Brown. I feel like, because he has nights where he'll play shooting guard, small forward. They, they, you know, base. I just call him a wing player. Honestly, he's that's just who he is. But he's really stepped up this season, and we we love talking about Jason Tatum. Like the past few years, he's really kept gassing him up as like this top ten guy. But Jalen Brown, I feel like he's really crack. He's slowly cracking into that top twenty, maybe even top fifteen. I, I maybe that's like too much, but I'm just maybe top twenty as one of the best players in the NBA, like what do you see about Jalen Brown that's really improved? He's more relaxed. Um, he's slowing down his game and guys always talk about this at that level is like when they first get in the league, they're processing things at hundred miles per hour and everything's moving so fast. And once you start to slow things down, that's when you become a better player. Like his moves have not changed a ton. His, his handles tightened up him and Brandon Ingram are very comparable in the way that, they knew what they wanted to do in their first two to three years in the league, but their handle wasn't tight enough to get to them, get to that spot. So now that they've had a few off seasons to work on that and they've tightened up their handle, they now can get to the spots that they want. They've gotten a little stronger and Jalen Brown this season has used the mid range more to develop himself as really a, a three level score, which has probably taken his game to another level. Like before it was Tatum's the best player. Now it's Austin has this star duo. You know, I look back at that 2016 class and it's kind of amazing that the top three guys like really were became home run hits for all three, yeah, all three teams. Like Simmons is a superstar, Ingram's a superstar, and Jalen Brown's a superstar. And, and even Jamal Murray that year, my God, like that whole draft, like we thought it was just Simmons, Ingram, and then everybody else. But it, then it just turns out like there's actually some stars that came out of that draft that we didn't actually expect at all. Hundred percent. I think that's that's what I said. You have to be patient with these guys. Um, we were in the instant gratification phase with uh, social media and wanting instant results and thinking these guys are proven commodities or they're who they are. Eighteen, nineteen years old. Like a lot of these guys need to get their weight up. They need to tighten their handle. Um, they need to become a smarter basketball player. Like it takes them four years. Like think about you at 18 years old before going to college uh, or only doing one year of college and then entering the professional field, right? Like you're going to make plenty of mistakes, right? Because like you're young, you're, you're immature. Like you have to learn a bunch of things and they're learning all this on the fly. So I think it's like anything in life. You need a little bit of time to get used to the role and kind of get comfortable in it. Who's a small forward that you've been intrigued by? 
I don't know. I was going back and forth and looking around the league for this one. This one's a little tough. Um, he hasn't played a ton of games, um, but I'm going to go with Kevin Durant here just because mm. I'm happy he came back from his injury. I think that's kind of where I'm going to stick with this is we all were, were wondering what he was going to come back with. I didn't fear that he'd be a different player because he doesn't rely too heavily on athleticism. Um, but you always worry about like, is that burst going to be there? And it's the same thing with John Wall. Is the burst going to be there? Um, and I think Kevin Durant's still averaging 30 points a game. Like it's there. Like he is when going the best score in the NBA hands down. And it's not close. He can score on any level at any time with any defense. It does not matter. You are not affecting his jump shot. There's about three or four guys in this league that can legitimately affect his jump shot. Otherwise you're just hoping he misses. Um, I think the NBA missed him last year. Um, I know he's now missing. He's out uh, against Orlando night. It's the sixth straight game. Um, but when he gets back, like this trio is a ton of fun to watch. Um, and when he's going, he's possibly the best player in the world, probably second best. I, it's kind of amazing because everybody's been qualified as his power forward now, because that's really how Brooklyn is in slow. If yeah. when he comes back, that's, that's where they're going to put him. He's the four because they need room for either Brown or uh, Harris to make, to get into the starting lineup. And that's a whole discussion for another time. While you were thinking about like the small four, I had the same problem with the power four position. I, there were so many guys. I just try to think like, who's really caught my eye. And then I kind of did like a whole cop out and I just went Gordon Hayward, <laughs> which I mean, he's a dual forward, but he's more of a small forward than he is a power forward. But I've been genuinely surprised by how much he's flourished in, in Charlotte. I thought this was another case of, oh, they're overpaying for a guy because it's Charlotte. They need to pay more money to get these guys to come to their team. But it's actually shocking how, how much Gordon Hayward looks, how comfortable he looks, how he's really gotten back into a groove when we really thought that we, that he was not going to be the same player after his time in Boston. It's funny. Cause I made a bet with Pat um, that he was going to average 20 points per game this year. Um, so when he went to Charlotte, I was like, okay, he'll be the number one option. Um, let's put a Vincent's din- dinner on it. Um, so like obviously by Hofstra Vincent's the Italian restaurant. Um, so we put a little wager on it. I think he's at 21 uh, game right now. Um, he's just being able to stay healthy. Obviously he hurt his hand. Uh, who'd they play before Phoenix? Uh, they play Utah. Yeah, they played Utah. He hurt his hand, um, but then he played against Phoenix. He's missed, I think, only a total of three games this year, three or four. Um, and he's more confident. He's comfortable. He has the touches. Like in Boston, he was trying to figure out how to fit in, whereas Charlotte, he's saying, give me the ball and get out of the way. Like I can make things happen. Um, him and LaMelo have good chemistry, and he's just an overall good basketball player. Like Boston misses him so much. And losing him for nothing, I said from the get-go, was a big mistake uh, by Danny Ainge and them. Um, so him and Charlotte, I thought it was a smart overpay, quote-unquote overpay. I mean, you're Charlotte. You have to overpay to get free agents. But he's been absolutely great for the Hornets, and I think they needed a, a veteran presence like him. Is it kind of nuts that Michael Jordan ha- overpaid for two guys that we would have definitely have panned because – We've seen the history of deals that Michael Jordan has yeah. made. And these two actually hit him and Rogier. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, what's happening. Why is, why is Michael Jordan's moves ha- working? This shouldn't usually work. This nothing works with this franchise. He, he took two rotation players from the Celtics and made them good. Right. Like that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that, that's, that's kind of the joke. Um, and then you point to a great thing. Like he always gets um, ridiculed for his, uh, lapses and mistakes as an owner over the years. 
But can we give him some praise, right? Drafted LaMelo Ball at third overall, the best talent. Signed Gordon Hayward, signed Terry Rozier. Like, those are some solid moves. This team is, I don't know, seventh in the Eastern Conference right now. I think they're probably a playoff team this year. Um, but that was my hot take going into the year. Um, I thought they were good enough that they were a 10 seed and then they drafted the best rookie and signed the best free agent. So that's kind of what happens when you do that. Um, so it's a credit to Charlotte. It's a credit to Jordan and it's a credit to Gordon Hayward for being able to stay healthy this year. Who's a power forward that you've really enjoyed watching this year. I was between two. Um, so Zion, I think is an absolute dominant force that was shoved down people's throats so heavily that a lot of people were turned off by him, but over the past 12 to 14 games, um, they've done this point Zion experiment where he's been uh, just like a cheat code. He's shooting like over 60%, 25, seven and four um, and just other world worldly and people don't care. Um, But the guy I'll go with is Julius Randall, right? Mm. Like he's, he's been the star for New York Knicks basketball uh, made his first all-star game ever this year. Uh, He's at 23 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. Um, pretty much upped his assist over two and a half this year. Um, obviously isn't a contract year. So whether or not it's due to that, um, but he's definitely cut out some of his tunnel vision um, and he's become like a star player in the league right now. Um, he's another guy that a lot of people were impatient with. He's only in his what sixth or seventh year in the league now. Um, and he's just become a total player and he's a joy to watch on a night to night basis, just because he fits that Thibs mentality of showing up every single night. I was talking with Gio about about Julius Randle, and I made this comparison that he's in the Tibbs system. And when I always think about Tom Thibodeau's teams, I always think they always have a big guy that can pass and be a playmaker in the yeah. post. And that's really the key because you see guys like Boozer, Joe Kim Noah really flourished under Tibbs. And it just feels like Randle is kind of like this taking some parts of that role and he's really flourishing under Tibbs' system. And I, it's genuinely fun to watch this guy play. I I can't wait to see what else he does. I by the way, this is a contract year for him, yes. so it makes a little more sense as to how he's upped his game. And I'm interested to see whether the Knicks are willing to extend this guy or if he's going to go and see whatever offers are out there. I've had a few people ask me that. Just my hunch feeling on it is the Knicks pay him, um, and I just think that is going to be one. They, they want to send a message to people. If you play well with the Knicks, you're going to get paid. Like you want to send that message to possible free agents, um, possible uh, disgruntled stars that you want to trade for in the future. That like, if you play well with the New York Knicks, he made an all-star game, he's going to get paid. Um, I think that extension is probably three to four years, probably around 20 to $25 million a year. Um, but like, if he keeps playing like this, he's worth it, right? If you can get 23, 10 and five from a guy and he's an all-star, yeah, you're going to pay him. And especially for the New York market, um, I think it's absolutely worth it. I think it worked for the Lakers too, because they kept paying their guys. Like they gave, they made a clear message when they, yep, with, extend, Kobe with Kobe Bryant, they sent to that massive extension, even though they knew for a fact that he was coming off this major leg injury and they still paid him because they knew that they needed to send the message to future free agents. We are loyal to you. We will pay you and we will stand by you no matter what. Guys take notes around that, around the league of, of who's willing to do that. Like even the Rockets doing the subtle move of fully guaranteeing DeMarcus Cousins contract um, before waving him, like small gestures like that mean stuff to guys around the league, just because it sets a future precedent um, for how you're, how you treat guys really. 
I want to go back to Zion because that's really been the most interesting part about it. He's saying point Zion. And immediately I just think to myself is kind of similar. What they're doing with him is like what the Clippers tried to do with Blake Griffin for a little bit. They tried to make him more of a playmaker and it was working to some, to some extent, but with Zion, it just completely opens up this new way of like this, you know, it completely opens up the Pelicans. And I watched the Celtics and the Celtics game than the Pelicans. And I yeah. got to tell you like that we saw what that really looks like. And they had like Melly was out there too. It's, you know, some, they stand on Gundy's trying to do something different with this, with this team. So I see this too. Like, and I'm, I've been reading stuff like saying that a lot of guys, like they're so afraid of Zion that they just completely ignore or have to, or they overcommit on Zion. And then it leaves these open opportunities for everybody else on the Pelicans. So when you watch Zion, like what's really like, what has he really changed up? Like what's has, what has he improved that has made him such this intimidating force for other teams? What's what's changed for is they've put the ball in his hands more. So his first year with Alvin Gentry, they really used him as a post guy. And through the first 10 to 15 games this year, he was still being used as that guy. And Sam Van Gundy was even saying in post-game press conferences, um, I want him to grab the rebound and start the break. Um, and it really didn't click. Like Stan was saying this and Zion was saying it, but nothing was changing. And about 12 to 14 games ago, they started experimenting with him just bringing the ball up the court, clearing out half, uh, uh, like a, uh, half of the court, going, okay, J.J. Redick, set him a screen. Just go to a two-man game because you're either going to switch and it's going to be a small guard that Zion is just going to be able to plow through for a layup mm. or the big's not going to get over quick enough and Zion's going to have a leg up on them and just blow to the lane or you're going to help too much on Zion and J.J. Redick's going to get a wide-open look. They pretty much dumbed the game down to a two-man game, but nobody can stop it. Now, you can't, you can't kind of spam that for a 72 or 82 game season, but there's something there that works. Now, my big issue with New Orleans is the roster construction. I really wanted them to go to from Miles Turner this summer. I thought he made a ton of sense for what they wanted to do. He's a five that can space the floor while also defending the rim on the other end that helps Zion out. Um, Steven Adams wasn't a bad acquisition, but I wouldn't have extended him for 17 and a half million for what he offers. Um, Melly has been mostly unplayable for this year, besides that Boston game that you referenced last Sunday. Um, so he's limited in some things just because the roster isn't with, has, it doesn't have a bunch of shooters, but you see the potential of what can be with them. And he's doing this all in poor roster construction. I think that's the craziest thing is the guy is averaging 25 points over 60% from the field. And it's with a roster that isn't optimized to his talent level and his skills. It kind of just feel like they could have been, they would have been better off just not going after Steven Adams and going for like a much cheaper option. If that's the kind of player that they were looking for, they could have gone off they after some guys like it. Yeah, someone like a Robin Lopez, someone of you know that kind of skill set. If that's what they were looking for, but it does feel like they, that this team is, you know, Stan Van Gundy is kind of going into that same problem that he had in Detroit, where he just clogged the lane for no reason, and he has like these. These guys, his front court can, you know, easily get to the basket. That's like not the issue. But when it comes to just spreading out the floor and giving like other options, I don't, it's just felt like he's run into that same problem in Detroit again. And that genuinely concerned me, which is why went the way that they played Boston was really encouraging. And I hope to see that's how it, it stays that way. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's on Van Gundy or David Griffin. Um, David Griffin's gotten a lot of praise for hoarding draft picks. Obviously, they got a ton of picks in the Drew Holiday deal. Um, they got picks in the Anthony Davis deal. Um, but unless those picks kind of turn into something, it, it's a failure in my eyes, right? Because Danny Ainge did the same thing, right? You got this war chest of draft picks, but if you're not hitting on the draft picks or you're not turning them into a star player, picks are nice until they have a name on them, right? Like look at Boston, who they've drafted. Most of those guys can't hang on an NBA court anymore. So you're wasting those draft picks on really nothing when you could have upgraded your roster. Um, so it's going to be interesting, the moves they make over the next few years, because they're in that stage right now where you're somewhat competitive, but you're not a playoff team, but you don't want to stay there too long because then you're going to have the same thing you had with Anthony Davis, right? You're not winning enough, which means the star player wants out. All right, let's finally wrap things up. Let's go to the center position. And I was, this was another position because there's so many, so many good centers this year. I personally, I want to go Rashard Holmes, but I just felt like um, I'm not really, I don't really know what, what else to say about Rashard Holmes. So I'm just going to go Jared Allen and Andre Drummond and the whole Cleveland center fiasco, which I was thinking, wait, how many centers do they have on this team already? There's so many centers on this team. Like what? what is roster construction? I don't understand what they're going for here, but now it's more clear that they were trying to move off of Andre Drummond. In comes Jared Allen. And you saw last night, Jared Allen just went off and he's been like incredible these last couple of games too. Absolutely. I mean, he was a great acquisition by Cleveland because they didn't really give up a ton in that trade. So he matches their timeline. He's a great rim protector for Sexton and Garland. The thing in Cleveland that they need to figure out is wing play. They have zero NBA wings right now. Like Chetty Osmond might be a rotation guy, but most teams on every single night treat him as he's with us and he can shoot. So they desperately are a team that need a top five pick in a draft like a Jonathan Kuminga makes perfect sense on the Cleveland Cavaliers, but they need a wing guy desperately. I, I, you know what? I thought it was weird that they, that Cleveland got involved in that deal with Harden. And then it just made sense. Like, Oh, we just need, we just came in just to take Jared Allen. And yeah. That's all we're all good. Cause you know, you could just do straight up. They could have easily just sent Jared Allen somewhere else, like, or straight up to go back to go to Houston, in that deal. But it's shrewd move by, by Cleveland to just jump in on that deal and take Jared out who I thought like, that's why I had reservations on the Harden deal was that you're giving up this young rim protecting center that fits exactly with what your team is. Like, that's why I was very concerned about that deal. Yeah. Brooklyn went all in on the three stars. Um, like you said, it was really smart by Kobe Altman to kind of get involved as the fourth team and say, okay, if you guys need to get rid of Jared Allen to make money work, that's fine. We'll take him on. Obviously they're gonna have to pay him an extension this summer, but Drummond's walking. So like, you're going to have money freed up. Um, and he just fits with them. Like, He's not going to do a ton for you offensively. He's going to catch uh, lobs. Um, he might get the occasional post up, but otherwise he's just really a screener for these guards to free them up, but he fits with them. Like they needed someone who was going to be a defensive anchor and Jared Allen's only 22, 23. Um, so he still has plenty of good years left on him. Who's a center that you've enjoyed? Cause again, there's so many centers that we could choose from this year. Yeah. So I'm going to go with a guy that I thought was the biggest all-star snub and that's Demona Sabonis. Mm. Um, first, I love watching the Pacers play. I think they play a great brand of basketball. Um, and Sabonis this year has kind of just been a poor man's Jokic. And that's not even a knock against Sabonis. The offense completely runs um, through Sabonis on, uh, at the nail. Um, his two-man game with Malcolm Brogdon is just like a poor man's Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic two-man game. 
but nonetheless, it's effective. He's putting up 21 points, 11 rebounds, almost six assists. He's the first guy ever to miss an all-star game that averages 20, 10, and five, um, which is just wild to me. Um, Indy's the four seed right now compared to Orlando, who's the 12 seed with uh, Vucevic getting in. So I thought Sabonis deserved a lot more love. Yeah, I was. we were all going on off on the fact that Devin Booker got snubbed, and then eventually he gets back into the All-Star because we we knew, like, come on, Anthony Davis was out with an injury. He's not going to yeah, be Yeah, you knew All-Star. that he was going to be the alternative. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of amazing. Like, I was reading through some threads. I was like, oh, Devin Booker revenge snubbery game. He's coming. He's going to drop 50 to prove everyone wrong. And it turns out, oh, never mind. He's, just, he's in the All-Star game. <laughs> 100%. You knew that was going to happen. Like, as soon as I first, I actually thought Zion was going to be AD's replacement. I thought Booker was going to get in. Uh, without a doubt. And I thought Zion was going to be the replacement, but uh, nonetheless, like I knew Booker was going to get in. Um, my issue with the Booker thing is he puts up big numbers on a team. That's not winning. They say you need to win more, right? Like that's why you're not an all-star. So then he's on a team. That's the four seed. And they say, well, your numbers aren't good enough. Like you have to pick something. We can't, yeah. we can't just use the double-edged short against him. I just don't think that's fair for him. So bonus. I remember like everyone was, fell in love with how he played. He very much reminiscent of how his father played in the NBA. Yeah. But he's just like a, a lot more finesse. Cause when you watch his dad, his dad was huge. Yeah. His dad was, his dad looked bigger. Like Sabonis looks like he's strong without lifting weights. Right. Like he looks, he looks, he looks lumberjack strong. Um, and I think that's the kind of guy that on a nightly basis, you don't want to match up with like last night, like if it's Kevon Looney or Draymond Green bang with them, like once you bang with them for three quarters, you're like, all right, my body's sore right now. It's, it's like that very deceptive strength. Yeah. I, I never actually thought about it that way, but I want to wrap this up and I'm so happy that we went through all of that, all those positions and everything. Cause we really got a lot out of that. So I want to wrap this up by simply just one thing, the replay review in this league has gotten out of hand and I never realized it was a problem until I was working the Celtics Pelicans game. And then I'm pretty sure they were stuck in review for 15 minutes. And I, it was just like, when is this game going to end? Come on. This I have, you're breaking, you're going into my break time in between this game and then the Brooklyn Clippers game that I have to work later. And the next day I listened to Simmons, pod with Priscilla and they went off on on this replay problem too so as we talked about like before we started recording you said like you know replay has really affect come in and affected every sport so when you see the how the NBA is doing replay replay review right now how big of a problem is it and what can be done to really kind of tweak it fix it to basically just salt end this end all this waiting it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because you want the right call every single time. Um, but the amount of time it takes, like sometimes when we see the replay at home, it takes us 30 seconds to make that decision and say, okay, that's the right call. Like, let's move forward. But for some reason, I think we always forget, like they have to check time, score, make sure everything is correct. Um, when we were talking before we started recording, VAR and soccer now, like some guys don't even celebrate because it takes them another three minutes to see if the goal is allowed or not. Um, so replay is a blessing and curse. I don't know if you can fix those things because it's just telling them to make quicker decisions. Um, 
like last night for the Charlotte Phoenix game, for example, like when Devin Booker got fouled on the four point play uh, with 20 seconds to go or whatever it was like to me, that's not a defensive foul by Gordon Hayward. Like Devin Booker leans into the contact, but they called it a foul on Hayward on the court. Well, if you're looking at the camera, nothing changes in your call, um, but they still spent time on it. There's no real fix in my eyes. Like it's, it's make a decision quicker. Like, um, but the replay centers in Secaucus, for example, in the NBA, like they're watching all the games. So then they have to uh, divert their attention to one game. And I think that takes time. So it, it's a process that they can probably clean up with just having more guys be um, having their attention on one game, but it, it's not an easy fix. God, I feel like anytime we talk replay, whether if it's soccer, basketball, or football, it just like brings like this sense of just, ugh, I don't want to have to deal with this again. And if there is no fix, I guess the only thing we can do is just like, just deal with it. That's the only thing we can do at this time until they find like a better solution or better way to do this. Because I get it. I don't want to sit through and watch as referees try to figure out a call, but like if, same, but you also don't want a situation like with what the Rams Saints like conference get, conference final where you a call is made and you're not able to fix it, even though when everybody and their mother knows that that is the wrong call. I think we all agree we want the right call. It's just in a timely fashion. I I I don't know how you clean that up. That's I think what everybody everybody agrees the calls need to come in quicker, but nobody has the solution for it. I think that's kind of the big thing that eludes us. And maybe we'll see it over the next five years or so that, but like, that's kind of the question is how do you speed up the process? Because everybody wants the correct call, but nobody knows how to get it done in a timely fashion. We'll see what they do. All right, Justin, let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media, what you've been up to. Twitter, Instagram at J underscore sports talk. It's the same at for both social medias. Uh, Just put out a new podcast today for just kicking it. Uh, with Jackson Frank talking all things Sixers. Uh, so you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, daydreamernetwork.com. Just go into the Just Kicking It tab. All the episodes are there as well. Um, and then obviously, as you know, me and Pat put out a weekly podcast on Saturday's Baller Biz podcast, where we talk all sports, uh, pretty much the business behind it. We just talked about the Australian Open last week. Um, and everything going on there. Um, so we cover pretty much everything across the world. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So if you're looking to learn about contracts, TV deals, TV ratings, the Baller Biz podcast is the best place to find that information. Also, don't forget to follow, to look for Justin on the Locker Room app, which is only on Apple, but they're working on it. They're working on trying to get it across the other platforms. But he goes, I can't wait to, for the Locker Room app to come up on Android because it's, it has to come at some point, right, Justin? Yeah, it does. So that, that's another one as well, too. If you, if you enjoy the NBA talk that uh, Susumo and I had going back and forth, Pat and I also talk uh, NBA, pretty much any story in the league, any hot headlines. Um, we just talked All-Star Game snubs last night and the second half of the schedule being released. Uh, download the Locker Room app. It's on the Apple App Store. Um, every Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m., shoot around. Uh, the league gives us that platform. It's a lot of fun. And you get to request to speak and talk to us. So if you want to make your voice heard, come to the locker room every Wednesday, seven to nine. Still can't wait for it to come to Android. And that is going to do it, everybody. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'll see you guys next time.